Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Press Row. Behind the scenes stories from the world of sports media. Press Row. Inside and interviews from around the sports world. Now, here's your host, Jonah Siegel. Welcome back. Jonah Siegel here in Seattle. Very happy to have today's guest join us. If you grew up listening to sports radio in Toronto, then the name Barb DiGiulio is certainly no stranger to you. Perhaps you joined later in life and missed her, but you may have caught her handling news duties over at CFRB or News Talk 1010, I believe it was called. Barb has been a mainstay in the Toronto radio scene, both in sports and news for a long time. I've been fortunate to be a guest of hers several times on her show for a couple of different reasons. And I think you'll find that she's an incredibly engaging talent and awesome guest. Barb and I talk about all kinds of things on today's show. Obviously, we, we start with her background, her history, working in the medium. You know, the early days at the fan down on Holly Street, you know, as, as the fan was building its fan base, as the Jays were winning the World Series, you know, along, you know, side Steve Simmons, Bob McCowan, Mike Hogan, Jim Richards, you know, everybody else that was at that station at the time. Gord Stellick, who, you know, she had that incredible run with doing the good show with their so not incredible pool parties that they used to have, which were quite hilarious for sports radio back in the day, to her news talk days. And then we finish with a pretty interesting discussion on the Will Smith, Chris Rock thing. This is the Press Row with Jonas Siegel. Another episode, Believe in the Press Row. Jonas Siegel here, a gloomy, typical early spring Saturday here in Seattle. It's uh, overly gray as it tends to be. Uh, all is well. The sun, well, it looks like the sun kind of came up. I, uh, I hit the big 5-0 yesterday. I was expecting nuclear bombs, you know, needing a lift to get out of bed this morning. None of that happened. I'm, I'm happy to report all is well. And I am thrilled to be joined with one of my favorite media personalities. Uh, if for no other reason that I used to play the other role for her on her nightly show, uh, the night side, she, you remember her from the famous fan 590 pool parties. I'm sure she'll cringe when she hears me say that she is Barb DiGiulio. Barb, how are you? Hey, Jonah, I'm great. How are you doing? I'm doing awesome. It's good to see your smiling face and to hear that voice that we all grew up with. Uh, I am finding now you're you making me sound old. <laughs> I'm finding you somewhere in and around the GTA, I imagine. That's right. I'm in the Toronto area, East End. And and how are things with you and yours? Really good, really good. Um, family is good. Feeling very blessed. Uh, so yeah, we're doing great. So I have to I have to start with I, I typically do a little bit of a history of of whomever it is that I'm talking with. And Barb, you don't have a Wikipedia page, so we, we've got to fix that for you. Um, <laughs> but you do have one of the funniest things I've ever seen when I searched you. You know, in addition to who is she dating, who is she married, you know, what's her net worth, which are all the awesome things you can find on, on Google. Uh, you'll have to decide whether those things are true or not. Someone has posted on eBay a three by five autographed index card signed by fan 590 host barb DiGiulio. that <laughs> reads <laughs> that reads to glenn thanks for listening barb DiGiulio. barb DiGiulio, radio host for the fan priced at 30 dollars us so there you go that is funny you know <laughs> i do not ever google myself i just i don't want to know other people are obsessed with it i would rather not know i didn't know that i don't have a wikipedia page i'm actually okay with not having a wikipedia page so i'm good but that's funny the autograph and i always would write thanks for listening i find it weird that people would ever want my autograph anyway um but it sounds like it's legit so you you and i don't want to make you feel old or any older than than i am anyways or anybody listening, but you were in the, the early days, the glory days, if you will, of, of the fan 590. You uh, tell us how you got there and, and, and how that all came to be. You know, it's, and I don't say this 
um, to make myself sound any younger than I am, but I really started out as a kid. Um, I came right out of, uh, right out of college. I got right into radio. You're I at went, Humber, correct? I, no, I went to Seneca. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah. And I always remember one of the instructors at Seneca saying that it would be a great idea for people to start in a smaller market. And I knew somebody in North Bay and I thought, let me give it a shot. So I, right out of school, I got a job at a radio station in North Bay. It was like a top 40 station. And I was doing six to midnight DJing. Um, and pretty much as soon as I started doing that, my goal was just to get back to Toronto. I wanted to be back because that was where everybody was. That's where I grew up. Um, and it took me about nine months, but I got back to Toronto. Started at uh, CJCL before it became the fan. I did traffic and I did news. Um, and then it became the fan in 1992. So I was one of the day oneers, and that's sort of that's sort of how it started. And and here we are. And you were there for quite a long time, correct? Twenty two years at the incredible. Fan. And and <laughs> and you started doing news and updates. So I did news and traffic. And um, then when we knew they were going to be switching to all sports, I went to the program director who at the time was Alan Davis. And I said to him, I want to make the switch. I just had this feeling that people in the news department were not going to end up lasting very long or they would be cut down. Um, and he decided to take a chance and and let me do it. So um, I made the switch to becoming a sportscaster. And then just started filling in the blanks of the sports that I wasn't as familiar with and just made it my goal to learn as much as I could about everything while doing the job. And in the early days, who were you working with? Well, uh, if I remember when I was doing sports in the evenings, uh, Dan Shulman was hosting the evening show. Um, I mean, I worked with them all. We were all working and growing together. Elliot Friedman was there. Uh, George Strombolopoulos was a board op. It's just crazy to, well, and of course, uh, Bob McCallum, who you spoke to recently. I mean, Joe Bowen was in the newsroom with me. I mean, these are just great people who have gone on to have great careers. And we were all kids starting together. And well, was it Joe, fun? Oh, it was a blast. It was fun. Um, we were owned at the time by a company called Telemedia. And we were on Holly Street in Toronto, and it really was like, like a fun, we were all in it together. Launching uh, Canada's first all sports radio station was just crazy. Um, and we had a great time. Storm and Norman was there. Jim Richards was there. Uh, yeah, it was, it was great. And were you the only female personality when you were there? For the most part, yes. Um, Mary Ormsby was there. At Mary the Ormsby was there and she did a show with Steve Simmons for, I'm not even sure how long, may have been a year or two years. It could have been longer. Um, I know Mary, so if I'm getting it wrong, I, I apologize. But uh, I think I was pretty much the only one sort of, and especially for that duration. But 22 years is a long run. Uh, I can't even believe it, really. And again, I think a lot of people will probably remember you most for being a co-host with Gord Stelic for the afternoon, the day, the, the big show. I think that's what he called it. The big show. Right. So, and I, I forgot to mention Gord Stelic as well, of course. Um, well, you only talked about the good people. I'm just kidding. Gord. Yeah. So. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, it's looking back, you know, it's hard to remember everybody. Um, I did some co-hosting. Yes. I was a sports anchor. I did. I didn't even really do that much reporting, but I did some, uh, especially shadowing. I well, Howard Berger. So I shadowed Howard Berger to some Leaf games, just because I wanted to learn as much as I could about all of the different roles. And did uh, as you went to the arena, the stadium, what have you? How nervous were you as a woman in that environment back then? Because um, you were probably one of a few pretty nervous it it was pretty i would say intimidating but of course like if it, if if i'm in the position of shadow uh, of shadowing someone like howard berger i mean he was just great and all the guys were great with me 
um, that I worked with and very supportive in that. But yeah, sure, it's a little bit intimidating, absolutely. But I always found, even then, um, players, coaches, very cool, like very respectful. And, you know, I maintain that women in sports, especially in the US, has been around for so much longer. So whenever I would have an opportunity to interview a coach or a player, um, it wasn't a thing to them. It didn't matter to them. You know, it didn't matter that I was a woman. Yeah, I mean, back then, the fabulous sports babe was a big deal here in the USA. We um, carried her on the fan for a while. That's right. And there were others along with her. You know, Linda Cohen has been kicking around uh, a friend of the show who's been on the podcast as well. Uh, she's been on uh, around for a long time, as have others. Um, and now with with the prevalence of highlight shows, especially on TV and other networks, it, it's certainly growing. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of women look to folks like yourselves as pioneers for the equality that's happened today, which which is a really positive thing. Does that come up in your teaching? You do some teaching now at the College of Sports Media. Plug for our our, our mutual friend David. Um, does that come up in your teaching at all? The, the the role of women and how women are treated at all, or not so much. So. Um... This is my second teaching gig, and I um, I taught for a while at uh, Centennial College as well. I'm going to say, because I haven't been doing this current round of teaching that long, I, it certainly comes up a bit, but not a ton. Um, it did come up a little bit more with my previous teaching, but... Um, it just depends on the group that you have and the dynamic. I mean, I've got, uh, so I teach two classes right now and I've got, um, I'm trying to think, I've got just, just under 40 students and I've got three women in one class. Um, it, it does come up sometimes, uh, but I'm gonna say not that much, which is kind of nice that it doesn't come up as an issue uh, because, and it's, it's great to see that the students I'm teaching the the guys are all very accepting and supportive of the girls. So I'm glad to see it's less of an issue. All right. So you, you, you run a stint at the fan, a career at the fan, 20 plus yeah. years, which is incredible. Thank you. Remind me, I haven't done my homework. Guilty as charged. Were you exited or did you leave on your own? Oh, no, I was exited. Okay. You were part of one of the big cleanses. Yeah, I'm trying to think how many people um, I tend, I, unlike others who can who can rhyme off exact <laughs> dates, and I tend not to dwell on that kind of thing. Okay. Um, but I do remember. So at that time, the fan was the fan had been bought by Rogers when I was say about oh sorry yeah Rogers when I was about ten years in, and then we were brought to um, a building and we we the sportscasters then suddenly became sportscasters for Rogers as well. So we were sportscasters on 680 News. Um, so that day there were, so I was let go. Well, the one thing that does stand out in my mind, there were three women let go, two of them from 680 um, on air and then me. I'm trying to remember how many other people, I don't know if it was a big blowout. I, don't, I actually don't think it was one of those, like the bell thing that I was involved in last year was more of a big blowout. So you get let go from Rogers mm -hmm. and voila, you end up at News Talk 1010. Voila. <laughs> <laughs> if only it was that easy, correct? Um, so, yeah, I, to be honest, I thought once I was done at the fan, I thought maybe the broadcast chapter was done for me and I was okay with it. It just kind of felt like, okay, maybe this is it um, for broadcasting and I was off for a few months, not that long. I was off for a few months and I was asked to uh, be on a, a podcast with Humble and Fred. And I went on their podcast and I was, uh, well, their show, and I was a little bit nervous about it, kind of like I am today because I haven't done anything like this for a while. But when I did the show with them, I remember feeling like, wow, like this is what feels like fun radio. I'd almost forgotten what feels like fun radio. So that kind of sparked something again in me. 
And I remember I was driving around one day and I was listening to News Talk 1010 and there was a host on News Talk 1010, Jerry Agar, who's become a friend of mine. And he was talking about the fact that they were starting this women only panel on his show. And so I came home and I thought about it. And I asked my husband, you think I should reach out? I don't know if they would want me to would want to have me on. But I had a friend there, Jim Richards, who I knew from the fan. Um, and he was hosting there and I reached out to him and he got me in touch with the producer and I started doing some uh, guest uh, guest panel positions with Jerry on Jerry's show. Um, and then I started being asked to fill in when people were vacationing. And so I started doing that. So if I was let go, say, November, and I think it was 2013, the next the winter, a few months later, I started doing stuff with 1010. Um, and I was filling in. And then in uh, August, they asked me to be on this show, The Night Side. Um, and that was it. And I was there for about seven years. Yeah. And according to the little research that I did, 1,046 episodes of The Night Side with Barb DeGiulia. Really? Well, that's what I'm looking at in front of me, 1,046. And I believe I was actually, some idiot from Seattle was on at least two or three. Um, so this is funny because um, I often tell people, you know, about you that we've known each other a long time, but we've never actually met in person. This is the first so, time we've, we've been face to face and I'm making air quotes because we're looking at each other on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we were we were in touch of it when I was at the fan. And of course, I always read your stuff and I loved it. Thank you very um, much. Yeah. And then when I was at 1010, remind me of the order, but I feel like you reached out to me when your son had a health scare. No, you had, you had seen it because I posted about it on Twitter. So did uh, I reach out to you? Yeah, you reached out to me um, okay. very kindly. That, that uh, actually I, I makes add... more sense. Uh, I sometimes forget these things, but that actually makes more sense because I knew you and I saw you posting about it. And I reached out because my thing with the show that I had at 1010, I just love storytelling and and informing, educating. And you, that story was great. And I hope it's OK that I brought that. Yeah, up. yeah, totally. So, so what happened was I, I have a funny memory, a really good memory for things that are kind of weird, whatever. I have pinned to my my Twitter account at YYZ Sports Media a picture of my son after he woke up after being in the ICU for a week watching a Maple Leaf game. And right. you had seen that and came back to me and said you were doing some stuff on the flu, ironically enough, after what we've now lived through for the past three years. Topic for a different day. I'm mildly convinced that he had one of the early, early, early year and a half early cases of COVID. Not really because the symptoms were eerily the same. Uh, he went from zero to, to ICU for a week in like six hours. Um, and so that's how it starts. So you reached out to me and said, wow, like, I'd love to hear more. That could be a cool thing for the night side. So that's how we originally connected. So we had you on and the story was great. And very with my compelling. with Jordy, with my son. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And um, after that, shortly after that, I guess the when the pandemic hit, I mean, you were in Seattle and things in Seattle seemed to be happening faster than they were happening here. But we, you were kind enough to come on with us. You were sort of like our Seattle guy talking about life and how life had changed and what was going on and how weird things were. So I had literally just come home from Japan. Um, and it, my kids had been sent home from school that day. And we were told it was a two-week hiatus. And, all told it. <laughs> it and I believe your producer was Ben. Does that sound That's right? right? Ben. Yeah. Ben reached out and said, hey, I, Barb says you're a friend of the show. You're in Seattle. Sounds like things are a little wonky here. We had that one um, senior citizens facility where things were not good, which had led to this shutdown. Can you come on? And we were supposed to go to a friend's house for dinner that night. So I said, you guys go ahead. I'll meet you there. And you and I spoke. I told you what was going on. And that was the last time we went to a friend's house for dinner for a year, year and a half. Like a, that was really the kickoff to what has become the new normal. You know, I think back to when things first started and and it's funny now to picture us doing things like 
going grocery shopping, but knowing it, like, I used to describe it on the show because when we heard about COVID-19, the coronavirus, I used to describe it like this tsunami that you know is coming, but it hasn't arrived yet, right? And so we'd be grocery shopping. No one was wearing masks yet. Some people were wearing gloves. How do we protect ourselves? We got to rush. We got to get the food. And it was just bizarre. It, I just, it was so bizarre that we went through that. Well, I'll tell you, like, so as I said, yesterday was my birthday. My birthday that year, we had friends and family meet in a school parking lot. And the, the cars were parked six feet apart. And one of us walked around handing out a bag with a slice of cake, a miniature bottle of some adult beverage, you know, like, and we wow. sang happy birthday outside in a parking lot. Um, and that was only, a, I mean, where are we now? That was only a few weeks after things really got bad. That, correct. That's right. So the world shut down February-ish. This was my birthday's April 1st. So um, yeah, that, so that's when, you know, I came on the first time. And then as Toronto, unfortunately, started to catch up, I think you had me on a couple more times. Oh, yeah. I think you came on with us a few times um, during COVID. And it was always much appreciated because I loved getting that perspective of what's going on somewhere else in the world. So you made the, the incredible pivot um, from, from sports to news. How, how much of an adjustment was that besides obvi the obvious? You know, uh, honestly, I'm going to say it, it, was, um, it was a challenging thing. But I've always been a news hound anyway. Um, and I encourage my students, even if you're in sports, to read and, and watch everything. Educate yourself as much as you can. Because even in sports, you're going to be called upon to talk about things that are news related. Um, so it, it, in that way, it wasn't too much of a challenge. I absolutely loved the show and doing the show. And I put a ton of work every single day into doing the show. So I was on the air from 7 to 10 p.m. And I was probably sitting down at this desk for 9 or 10 in the morning looking for stories every single day. It was, it was exhilarating and it was exhausting. So when it ended, it took me a couple of months just to kind of decompress from all of that because I was in this sort of wheel of nonstop work. And when it all just suddenly stops, you, you kind of have to readjust and try to figure out, you know, even what you're going to do with your time. So at your heart, were you growing up a sports fan? I grew up a huge Leaf fan. Um, a little bit into Jay's. Um, I mean, we all kind of got on the Raptors stuff together, uh, but really a big hockey fan growing up was my main thing. And I played sports too when I was in school. And, and how awesome was it being at the station when the Jays were really good? It was awesome. And it was weird because it was when we first were getting going, right? So it was like the glory days, but you didn't have enough of a runway to the glory days to appreciate how glory they were. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like after that, then it was kind of a bit of a crash, but it was amazing. It was amazing. And are you like a lot of people who I talk to won't readily admit that they're sports fans. Like you, you just said to me, I grew up a, a Leaf fan, a hockey fan. Are, are you still a sports fan today? Like, do you, do you watch? I, you know, I am a sports fan, but I'll tell you one of the things that came out of working at the fan, believe it or not. And I should have mentioned this earlier is I grew to love football and I love NFL football. I mean, I like, it's not that I don't like CFL football. I'm not going to trash the CFL or anything like that. But um, so absolutely football. We watch all the time. We love the San Diego, San Diego, LA chargers. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, I follow, I follow all sports, but I wouldn't call myself a fan of every sport. And I feel like working in sports radio for so long kind of takes you out of that. It becomes, and I always have to remind my students, when you're talking about the Leafs, when you're talking about the Raptors, it's not we, it's they, right? You're not part of the team when you're reporting on the team. You are uh, trying to be objective. And maybe so many years of being objective pulled me out of 
that, you know, becoming being a big fan. I mean, the Raptors championship was just infectious. Right. And I've got two sons and especially my younger son is has always been into basketball, really into the Raptors. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, so stuff like that, I'll go through and enjoy. But I don't really view myself as a big fan uh, as much as an observer, I guess. Then or now? Now. I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of the Chargers, but I wouldn't like I'd sit and watch every single Leaf game. I mean, I follow what's going on with them. I just kind of keep an eye on things. But if you're sitting watching the Leaf game and they score a goal. I'm not jumping it. off on the couch. I'm not you're jumping not. off the couch. Interesting. No. Yeah, no, actually, my husband's a Bruins fan, so I'm not really allowed to <laughs> talk about the Leafs in this house. So, so how does a Bruins fan Toronto girl end up a San Diego L.A. Chargers fan? There's really no rhyme or reason, Jonah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think, you know what? Um, Come on, tell yeah. me it's the uniforms. Let's hear it's the uniforms. I'm calling HR. Okay. Uh, no, you know what? When I was working in sports, I actually initially started following the Eagles and thought I might be an Eagles fan. And then when sounds like a Mike Hogan influence yes, there, Mike Hogan, there's another name. Uh -huh. I feel badly for anybody I haven't mentioned. Uh, Mike Hogan, absolutely Eagles fan. Um, and then I guess when my husband and I got together and he was a Chargers fan, and then when our kids were little, we would just, you know, it just sort of became a thing and Philip Rivers and, you know, that becoming that sort of thing where you follow the team and you follow the players. And I'll be honest, when he left, I thought, okay, maybe that's it. Maybe we're not really going to be into the Chargers anymore. I'm not going to be as interested. But of course, they have this great uh, young quarterback, Justin Herbert, who's very exciting to watch. So yeah, my love for it still remains. So we'll, we'll pivot. Okay. Did, did, did you watch the Academy Awards the other night? Oh, I, I was hoping you were going to bring this up. I did not watch it with a good reason. Anybody who didn't watch it probably has a good reason. I was on a plane coming back from Halifax, uh, where one of my sons is studying. We walked in the door late. It was a night of delays because there was a snowstorm in Toronto and the plane. Oh, whatever. We were late. Walked in around midnight. And my, uh, my younger son said, did you hear what happened at the Oscars? <laughs> and I hadn't heard a thing. And then I watched it. Um, and I feel like, I feel like every day that goes by, I'm still, as a lot of people are, I'm sure I'm still processing, trying to process what happened. Like what, did we really see what happened? And where have you arrived? That, um, a man was assaulted on stage and the person who assaulted him was celebrating. <laughs> and, you know, I feel for, I feel a lot for Chris Rock because I understand, and I think he's spoken about this on podcasts. He was really bullied as a child. And I feel like for him, not seeing it coming, hands behind his back, smile on his face it's like this level of trauma and humiliation and i think a lot of people are in his corner but that's got to be and and i think he handled it very well um i just i can't get over it i mean were you watching it yeah so the benefit of living on the left coast is one east coast sports typically come on at four o'clock right uh, so on weekends, it's great. Like it's, uh, it's Sunday morning, sorry, it's Saturday morning. Now here I can watch the leaf game at four o'clock here and by seven o'clock it's over and my night hasn't really started yet. So we started watching the awards. I typically watch them. This is the first time ever. I haven't seen all the, most of the nominated movies. Oh, okay. TV is so good. Well, air quotes around the word TV. Cause I'm not sure what we call streaming services, if that's TV anymore, but TV is so good. Who the hell needs to go to the movies, especially with the pandemic? Um, so I'm all, I've always watched and I've always had a rooting interest, maybe a, a better two on in a pool as to who's going to win what. Uh, so I always watch and I was watching and we were having dinner and I thought the TV glitched. So take me through it. If you're watching it live, because before I even saw it, 
I had already been told something happened and I knew kind of knew what happened. What goes through your mind as you're watching that live? So the first thing that happens is you hear nothing. So the minute you hear nothing, you're like, did the TV glitch? No, because the, the video is live. So when you hear the audio, it's like, oh, somebody just dropped an F-bomb, right? Somebody's swearing. And then you're like, well, this is the Academy Awards. Like this, this is all scripted. Like nothing goes off script. Excuse me. And you're just looking at Chris Rock's face and you can just tell that something ain't right. And then when Will Smith walks back to his, his, his seat, an off camera is dropping F-bombs very loudly. And you can just tell by the tone of his voice that this, so they, I think they went quickly to commercial. And of course we rewound it. Thank you for the PVR system and watched it again. And there was a pretty healthy debate amongst the three of us sitting there watching was that live or was it Memorex, right? Like, was that, was that real? Was it scripted? And of course you do what you do in the year 2022 is you pick up your cell phone, you start looking at Twitter for the, for the opinions of the global audience. And it was insane. That's the only word that I can think of. It was just absolute. I always, when, when Twitter explodes, I think of the wheel on wheel of, uh, on, on the prices, right. Spinning round and round really quickly. And that's what my Twitter feed was doing. And I was looking at folks like Adnan and Virk and, and people who are, who are there. And then somebody listed or posted, I should say, a feed from either Australia or Japan that was not edited. So you could watch and hear the whole thing. Uh, and once you saw that, you're like, oh my God, like, I cannot believe what I just saw. I think that um, if, if Will Smith had not yelled when he got back to his seat, I think a lot of people would still be convinced it was a skit or it was fake or something. And that seemed to be the turning point for people. And, and they say the, the crowd in the stadium or the theater where they were just completely went silent. And that was kind of when they realized, oh, my God, this is real. Um, and then he gets to sit there for the rest of the show. And then he gets a standing ovation when he wins his award. And it's like, what is going on with people? So here's my question for you. We had a very healthy disagreement last night about this topic. Open-ended question. Did Chris Rock do anything wrong in this situation? No. So, so you're okay I, with I, the joke? Well, I mean, G.I. Jane was a badass look. I don't think he meant it in a derogatory way. I don't think so. I don't know what he was thinking. I think that um, if you are front row for a comedian, you're going, you're, you know, you're ripe for the picking, right? I feel like that's sort of a thing that was understood. And I just don't think, especially if he didn't know about this condition that she has alopecia, I don't think he meant it in a bad way, but I don't know. I understand maybe there's some history with the three of them. So I, I don't know. Do you think, I mean, that's, that's his job. Ricky Gervais does that, and he insults so many people. Like, he did, what did he do a couple of years ago? Did he do the Oscars? He did. Yeah, and he ripped everybody to shreds, right? Isn't that what they do? It's why they've brought comedians into the role, is they take a rather stiff event. Billy Crystal did it for how many years? Right. And did it best. Whoopi Goldberg did it. Um, no, my, my take was, I can't believe people, like, First of all, I don't believe, and, and I'm probably wrong on this, that anything comes out of anybody's mouth on that show that isn't scripted. They're all reading. You can see the teleprompters. Who right. wrote it? I, I don't believe Chris, maybe, maybe he did write it. Uh, I, I think that, I'm not sure if you heard, but Howard Stern was all over it the next morning and basically came out and said, first of all, it was a bad joke. Um, second of all, it wasn't really, I mean, he compared... He compared Jada Pinkett Smith to Demi Moore, who's one of the most beautiful women in the world. What's he complaining about? That's kind of where I came from. I was in the minority at the table last night. Everyone what, else. What, what were they saying? What did they think? How dare he joke about her with this condition? And, and 
he, while this wasn't entirely his fault, but for him doing this, we wouldn't have ended that ended up in this place. And I am, I, I can't disagree with that, but I don't think this was his fault at all. You know, there's a whole, this is why I find this so fascinating because it's like that study of human nature and why people do things. And I've heard some uh, speculation, some theory that this was misplaced anger. So there's been stuff going on with them. And she had an affair with her son's friend who was, you know, in his 20s a number of years ago. And then Will Smith went on her show, Red, is it Red Table Talk or something like that? that. And and apparently, well, I, I saw a clip of it apparently was just like so it was like he's sitting there so humiliated but having to play along with whatever story she's doing about this she called it an entanglement she didn't call it an affair and it was just so super uncomfortable what how he reacted to chris rock making the joke about gi jane was that's not that's not worthy of or or you know worthy of that level of anger and then to to think you you just like assaulted someone how and how did that happen i think a lot of people are thinking and how and how did the rest of the show go on and how was he not removed so i don't know about you barb but when somebody asks me to leave i don't usually take that as a option and my understanding is will smith was asked to leave and usually the asked part of that is not optional. It's get the hell out. And by my understanding on, on the reading is he was asked to leave and he declined. He refused to leave. Right. ABC, who is, you know, getting every moment out of this that they can, had the producer of the show on. And he came on and said on Good Morning America the other day that Rock's people didn't want Will Smith removed. And Chris Rock's people have come out and said that's just complete BS. That is not true. If we were asked, we wanted them out. Um, this just seems like a pile of crap. And I, I don't know how you ask somebody to leave in that situation and they get to refuse. And then he becomes this celebrated, everybody's crying, you know, holier than thou after he's gone on national TV and assaulted somebody dropping F-bombs. And here we are. And then goes to these after parties and is dancing and having a great time. And Chris Rock's people, I think, said, well, Chris Rock was, I guess, very clear. No, no, I don't want him charged. I just want to leave. But they say, as you mentioned, nobody said anything to us about removing him. Like, Chris, don't put it on Chris Rock. Don't make him the reason why you guys failed to properly handle this situation would who else would get away with that and why because it's will smith did he get to stay the worst part to me is that for five minutes for a year for five years for 20 years for 50 years anyone else that won that night will never remember anything about any of the movies, about any of the presentations, about any of the speeches, about any of the awards, this will be the Will Smith award night. So in the same respect, for five years, for 10 years, for 50 years, will Will Smith always have that connected to him? And should he? Or do people have a moment where they snap and it it's like the worst moment and they wish they could take it back and they can't. Should he get to move forward and continue on? What, I mean, he, so he resigned from the Academy. I still don't know exactly what that means aside from he can't vote. Yeah. It sounds like he can attend and he can be nominated and he can win again. Maybe, you know, this, I don't, when you, when you're an actor and you get nominated, do you have to pay dues to the Academy to be, to vote? Like, is that what, ha- I, I don't know how the system works. Like, is he going to lose sleep that he can't vote? Well, that's uh, what I mean. Is it some big grand gesture that is actually a formality that really means nothing? And is it part of the, um, is it part of his damage control situation right now? Well, I've got to issue this apology on Instagram 
and I've got to do this to, you know, he's got, he's got people telling him now, this is what you need to do. But the, but the measure of someone's integrity is the fact that he stood up and accepted that award and apologized to everyone in the room, but didn't mention Chris Rock. So back in your sports days, you may recall that something untoward would happen with a player, not on the field, but substance abuse, domestic abuse, something awful would happen to a player. And before the league intervened, the team would suspend the player. Right. And, the, and then the league's response would be, oh, the team's taking care of it, we're good. So it, it seemed like him resigning from the, uh, from the academy was his team's attempt at dealing with this before they levy whatever, whatever punishment they're going to. It's hard for me to believe and to warrant that he doesn't get another shot down the road at some point that this, you know, he should carry this for the rest of his life. That seems like a pretty steep punishment. I, you know, it seems to me right now, his apology is based on the fact that everyone's saying you didn't even apologize to the guy. So now he's apologizing to the guy. I'd like to think that at some point there'll actually be a, a meaningful, heartfelt apology. Uh, and we'll all go on to answer your question. And, and I also think um, with Chris Rock starting a tour immediately after this <clears throat> and not addressing it and telling the crowd, I'm not going to be addressing this, tells me more about what he's going through. I, I feel like this has got to be very difficult for him. He was a, he was a victim of an attack that he didn't see coming. I'm sure, I'm sure Will Smith and Chris Rock are both replaying the whole thing in their mind, morning till night. What could I have done differently? What should I have done differently? Well, uh, and, and you know this as well as I do, probably more so because you were in the industry, but a lot of famous people don't relish in the fact that they're famous. So we, Joe and Jane Public, think, oh my God, it'd be so fantastic to be at a restaurant and have people come over your table and ask you for an autograph. A lot of people who are public performers actually have a very difficult time with that. Um, and I, I found that in reading and, and watching a lot of TED Talks and stuff like that, that comedians and people that go up on stage tend to have that issue themselves. You listen to Seinfeld, like he doesn't like to leave home very much at all. Um, so you can only I can only imagine if Chris Rock has that DNA in him, the fact that the public eye is now all over him may not be sitting all that well for him, especially when it's for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, and, and, and it has also, in some ways, I think, derailed his tour at the moment because we hear reports of people being kicked out because they're yelling stuff about Will Smith. And like it, it is now, it's all about Will Smith. Like he just... He sucked the life out of the Academy Awards. He took all of the attention off of the people who won and deserve to have the attention on them. Um, it's affecting it's affecting everything. And it just it's just so over the top that it could be about a joke that, as many people have said, would have been forgotten. It it, it was not. It, it, I don't know. Um, I would guess comedians do a lot of jokes in poor taste. You try stuff, some, uh -huh. some works, some doesn't, right? They're not all going to be great. And was it worth all of that? It, it just seems like uh, it's so over the top. It's hard to believe. So if you had produced a movie that Will Smith was in and it was sitting in the can waiting to be released in the next six to eight months, would you release it? That's a great question. I thought where I thought you were going to go was the movie was yet to be made, but well, if let's, the movie start, is... let's start with the one that's been made. It's been made. Okay. I mean, so much is sitting on the shelf waiting to be released. I think, I think you have to wait to see how it plays out because it's a few weeks from now that the Academy, apparently I'm not sure why it's taken them so long. They saw what happened. We all saw what happened. What investigation, what are you going to investigate? But I think you would wait for sure until after that point. Because then it becomes a thing where are you going to lose sponsors? Are you going to lose, um, you know, the the sort of perception of your brand and all of that stuff that people worry about now? 
So, and, and that's an easy one. If you've got a movie in the can, I think you could wait a few weeks to release it. Well, okay, so we'll come to your second point, but let me go to where you just went. Sure. What can they do to him? Oh, if they strip the award. Oh, I don't think, yeah. I don't, you know. They're going to strip the <laughs> award. They're going to ban him from ever being nominated again. Like, what are they going to do to the guy? Fine him? Like. I know. I mean, it's a great, great question. Does it go back to, should he have just been charged for the assault? Like anybody else would be. But I don't think they can do that. So they're going to come I, out. Well, the Academy imagine, can't. I can only imagine what this group of Academy looks like. The fine, the fine gents from Ernst and Young or whoever it is that walks out with the suitcases with the votes tallied. Uh, I can just imagine what this group looks like. What's at their disposal? Like, what are they going to do to them? They'll, they'll do something besides a reprimand. I don't know. Do you, like, even do you, do you ban him from a, a certain amount of shows for a number of years? But you know what? How, how likely is he going to want to go back and sit in the audience well, the next time a comedian is on stage at the Academy Awards and Will Smith is sitting there, you think he's going to be left alone? I certainly hope not. I think I would hope he would be just not that he should be targeted, but he shouldn't be off limits. You, you don't you don't just do that kind of thing. And expect it to be OK. And I think that's the weird part of this. That night in that auditorium, for some reason, it was OK. So you're now going to shoot a movie and your casting director tells you and has been telling you that Will Smith is the ideal actor for the lead role. You're going to hire him? Not right away. So if the movie has to be made right away, I think I'm I'm going to look for alternatives because of all the noise around this, because I think that Will Smith probably needs some kind of break to deal with stuff. I'm just not sure I'm getting someone who is ready to jump back into work. And I'm not sure I want all the negative press around it. But then again, another weird thing is as I'm thinking this, these last few days, is it weird that Alec Baldwin's shooting a Christmas movie? <laughs> Like hopefully with no firearms again, um, we still don't know exactly what happened, but it's so bizarre, even from his point of view to jump right back in a woman was just killed and, and you're dressed as Santa. Like, it's just so weird. So I would say that I completely agree with you. It would give me a lot of pause if I was in charge of that movie, but I 100% believe his agent got calls since saying, where are we on that script? Or have you thought about that script? Or I'm sending you a new script. Do you I think, think that, so? Yeah, I think that's the nature of the business. 100%. The guy, I mean, forget the incident for a second. They always show you what somebody's value is pre and post Oscar. His value just without the incident goes through the roof. He's now, if he wasn't before, one of the hottest targets in Hollywood. So people can't help themselves. Let me also add, kind of going back a bit, I also hate that the way he did his speech brought the Williams family into it. For sure. You know, can anyone have been not associated with what you did? But now it becomes a thing where, oh, I'm like, I'm like the guy I played in the movie. I'm protecting my family. I'm like, don't attach them. <laughs> to this the William sisters and uh you know yeah it, the whole thing but you see how and it's interesting this has been such an interesting discussion there are so many different elements to this and it was something that happened in seconds well it did one thing it generated buzz for an event that was pretty much dead I guarantee you no matter what time you walked in the door of your house your son has never said to you or would never say to you, do you hear what happened at the Oscars? I have, I've never, ever heard that. And I don't right. even think, I don't even think he was watching. I don't know if he was watching, but probably saw it on social media. It was everywhere. Yeah. Well, I don't know how, how old your son is, but I will imagine he, TikTok is no stranger to him. The, the, the action on TikTok, the, the people now using the audio 
is everywhere. It's pretty hilarious. And, And I will pivot back to sports by saying that there is sheer brilliance and genius at the Seattle Kraken NHL hockey team. They were playing the Las Vegas Golden Knights last night and a fight, a fight broke out, a rarity in the NHL these days. And as the fight started over the PA, over the PA system, they started playing the jingle from the uh, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Wow. Which is See, just so smart. It's, it's so funny and so smart. And it's just also an indication of how this is just going to hang on him like a bad smell. I know, but somebody's pretty like somebody obviously said to themselves, the next time there's a fight at the game, we got to play this and see what happens. And it's all over. So like uh, that is just Did hilarious. the crowd love it? Loved it. How could you yeah. not? Yeah, yeah. It's funny. Well, it's been uh, awesome chatting with you. It's uh, it's great to finally see a face because when I was on the radio show, it was radio and we didn't have that. Uh, this was really fun. We, we, we've talked on air, off air numerous times and uh, really enjoyed getting to spend some time with you this morning. Yeah, me too. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I'm glad we kind of went in that direction, because as as someone who's used to being the person to ask the questions and not have questions asked of me, um, I loved also being able to just have that conversation because that's sort of more in my wheelhouse than being the subject of whatever we're talking about. So it was a lot of fun. It was really great. It's finally nice to see you in person. Well, there, there, there is method to my madness, everybody. I have been working very hard to try and get Barb to join me here on the podcast on a more regular basis and to help me with topics and, and interview guests. So I'm hoping that uh, this episode will lead to more down the road. Yeah, we've had some talks about it, and um, I think we're gonna we're gonna give it a shot. Go, go, try some different sort of things, but still following um, the kind of show that you've been doing. It's a nice way for me to, I'm slowly starting to get my foot back in, testing the waters. um, And this has been a great way to do it. So thank you. Well, it's awesome to see you. It's great to hear your voice. Uh, Thank you for your husband for helping out with the audio side of things this morning. (laughs) And good luck to your students. I think they're finishing off their year here shortly. And we will see you next time here in the press room. Thanks, Jonah. Huge thanks to Barb DiGiulio for joining me today in the press row. Hope you caught that at the end. Barb is now going to be joining me as a co-host on the show. Super, super excited to see where that goes. I've enjoyed getting to know Barb over the years. And as I said, humbled by the fact that she's agreed to give this a shot. I think she and I are going to make an awesome team. Uh, Please subscribe anywhere you do listen to these shows. And feel free to reach out to me at Jonah at yyzsportsmedia.com. My DMs are always open at yyzsportsmedia on Twitter. And I look forward to hearing from you if you want to be a guest, if you want to advertise. Until next time, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Press Row Podcast. You can subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms. To contact Jonah or to sponsor the show, email Jonah at torontosportsmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.